This scripture comes from the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. It's just a couple of verses, and I would guess that those of you who have been around the church for a while know this, I've heard this. Jesus said this, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think that bears repeating. The question of whether the God that we follow is a God of love or not, that question begins probably where it should. In the beginning. Why? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's spirit moved over the watery chaos, as we are told. God spoke, and things came into being, depending on the, the, which version of that creation story you, you read. It happened in six days, and God rested on the seventh day. But all throughout that, in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, God says what? It was, it was, there we go. And even so, and in the, in the Hebrew, in a couple of spots in there, it says tov meod, which is very good. Not just good, like super fantabulistic, awesome, amazing, spectacular, whatever word you can put on it. Very good. I have some friends that they've got it tattooed on their arm because they want to remember because sometimes they forget that you know they're they're having a hard time with themselves and so they try to remember that God said about us about human beings very good we are very good but then in Genesis 3 we have the story of what of who maybe Adam and Eve, and, and, we, and it's called the fall, which I think is very interesting. It's never called that in the scriptures, but we've put this name on it, that, that somehow human beings were up on this pedestal and that we fell somewhere, that we, we fell out of favor with God, or, or some, there's some, there are all kinds of teachings about that. And so God had given, you know, said, don't, don't eat of this tree, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. The humans did, and so God said, well, you broke the rules. I'm kicking you out. And some people, you know, see that and go, well, uh, I thought God was a God of love. Well, let me ask you a question. If you are someone who has children or has ever worked with children and they do something like, oh, hit a golf ball into a window and break it. Do you just say, oh, well, because I love you, it doesn't matter no big deal. Or do you say, because I love you, you're going to go over to that neighbor and you're going to apologize and then you're going to figure out a way to either work off whatever it, whatever it takes to, to fix that or, or you're going to figure out, you know, I'll help you, but, but we'll, I'll, we'll figure out a way to fix it ourselves if the neighbor is willing to do that. Both of those are loving responses. Love is not this soft, ushy-gushy sort of thing, the way we like to see it in movies most of the time. That it's, a very, it's a very hard-edged sort of thing. 
Because love also, it doesn't just, it doesn't just accept us as we are, it also calls us and challenges us and holds us accountable, right? And there's this dynamic in Christianity then about is God a God of love or not, or is God, is God a God of righteousness or of justice or of anger? And I think that's a poor question. I think it's yes, but our tiny brains have a hard time wrapping around that. We either want a God of love who just lets us do whatever we want, whenever we want, with no sort of feeling of, of guilt or shame or any of that, or because we think we're so good We want a God of justice and righteousness who will smite anyone who doesn't think like us, act like us, be like us. It's a very interesting thing. Genesis 1 Christians, Genesis 3 Christians, we often call them. Because some denominations, some some particular sects of S-E-C-T-S of of uh, the Christian faith focus very much on Genesis 3, the fall, we are sinful, we are horrible, we are worthless, we can do nothing right. My son would remind us that my son Noah, who's a, who's a theology scholar, he would remind us that in the Presbyterian faith, there's a history of what we call TULIP, which is a, an acronym for how we think about things, but one of those is total depravity. Total depravity. That we, that human beings are just fundamentally depraved. That we're going to do the wrong thing every time, hands down, no matter what. Uh, I mean, sometimes it, it, it's, it hurts when you start thinking about it. Now, it's a really wonderful theological point, but you've got to be a scholar to begin to get into it and begin to understand the subtleties of it and what, and what that means for our relationship with God. I'm not going to try to get into that today. But what I want to say is we are living in a time where I believe and a writer wrote about this, Diana Butler-Bass, who's an interesting character in Christian faith. She wrote about this, this dynamic of, is God a God of love or is God a God of empire or of division? After the Trump rally in North Carolina, where we saw out in the crowd a lot of white folks that look a lot like you and me, probably mostly middle and upper middle class folks, who are screaming, send her back, send her back, send her back. And she wrote about this because she, I believe she grew up in North Carolina, and she said, you know, North Carolina is a very faithful kind of state. It's a very Christian sort of state. There are lots of Christians. She says, as I looked out at that sea of faces, I saw all the people I grew up with. So all the people that I grew up with, who I went to church with, and, and here they are screaming something that, that seems antithetical to the faith that I understand now. And so she began to write about a God of love or a God of division or a God of empire. What are we, what are we, what are we about? And I thought she had a great point because I'm going to share my personal opinion. I think that kind of rhetoric should never cross the mouths of someone who follows Jesus Christ. Ever. I think it's fundamentally opposed to what the gospel is all about. So I've just outed myself, okay? <laughs> just, let's just clear the air here. I find some of the rhetoric now politically on all sides. I'm not, I'm not picking on one. 
I find the rhetoric politically to be, to be almost antithetical to the Christian faith, a lot of it. And I think Christians, especially us mainliners, those of us sort of in the, in the, in the main line where we, where we talk about that we believe in a God of love, we talk about a God of love, but we often believe in this soft God of love that doesn't get out there and advocate for people, that doesn't get out there and, and stand with people. We, we advocate for this God of love. We're in decline. Our churches are getting smaller. It's an interesting sort of thing. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, it is a lot easier to believe in a God of division, in a God of anger, because what that does is it, put, it helps to put me in a position of, well, I'm, in, I'm on the right spot, you're on the wrong spot, and so I can think about you as a lesser person. I've got my tribe, I've got my tribe, unless you believe like me, look like me, talk like me, think like me, you can't be part of this tribe. Again, I think that is, in many ways, fundamentally opposed to what I believe Jesus is, is teaching us. So is God a God of love? For me, it's a rhetorical question. But I think it's one that we Christians need to really, really dig in on here. Because, I mean, throughout the Scripture, you can see it. It goes back and forth. I mean, it's written, you know, we, we often talk about the Bible inspired by God, written by humans. So it is that the people who follow God are seeking to interpret their experience within their culture and their context, and they're trying to figure out who is this God. And I think they hit upon something with Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, because you and I both know that we human beings can do amazing things. We can do very good things. And in the next second, we can screw it all up, right? We can make a mess of it. And I think there are repercussions for that. I think there are repercussions for that. And so God, yes, God is a God of love, but not a love of some namby-pamby, soft sort of love that just lets everything go and doesn't really care. It's a very, it's a deep, heartfelt kind of love that, that comes into our life and calls us right where we are accepts us right where we are, but calls us and challenges us into a way of life that reaches out, that branches out, that works love. So throughout Scripture, we have this dynamic about God as a God of love. There's also God, the people who write about this in the Scripture, you know, there's also the demands of God. Back in ancient history, of course, the gods demanded sacrifices. And so in Leviticus, which is an interesting book, which lays out all of the festivals and all the feasts and how the people are to respond to God in, in a sense to appease God. But what's interesting about it, it is one of the first times in human history where all the sacrifices are laid out in exact numbers. Meaning, here's what you do. Because with other faith systems, other dynamics, the people never knew whether they had done enough or not to gain God's favor. So even though we look at Leviticus and go, oh my gosh, this is horrible. How many, how many animals are they killing every day? How many? It was actually a, a progression because it actually gave them parameters. And then later on we read in the prophets, especially in Isaiah and then in Micah and in some of the others, that God, speaking through the prophet, says, I'm done with all these sacrifices. 
I'm done with these sacrifices. I want you to care for the poor. I want you to feed the stranger. I want you to take care of each other. That's what these sacrifices are supposed to be about, is to remind you about these things. But I don't want those if all they are is just a show. We're going to be talking about some of that later uh, throughout this year. We're going to talk about some of those things. And so then we move to the, to the New Testament, to the time of Jesus and the story of Jesus. And, and of course, the, the, a central scripture to our faith is John 3.16, which says what, Bible scholars? For God so the world that he gave his only son not to condemn the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the part that a lot of us forget. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so for me, that, that kind of love, that kind of love that where God would, would entrust his own son, one that we would come to believe was the Son of God was with the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, was God, would entrust His Son with us to show us a new way, to show us what it means to live with a God of love. And it is the hardest work we'll ever do is to follow that God of love. Because let's talk about the work of love now. Luke six twenty seven. Love your enemies. Let that sit on your heart for a little bit. Got anybody right now that you're really angry with? You think is an enemy? You're supposed to love them. What does that mean? Well, you got to try to see things from their perspective. Right? You don't put a welcome mat on your face and let people, you know, wipe their feet on you. That's not what this means. But... Loving your enemies comes, you try to begin to see things from their point of view, to have compassion for their situation and for what they are doing. Again, you don't let them walk all over you, but love your enemies. Don't just put people into camps in your mind, this person, that person, that person. Begin to see each person as an individual. Let me tell you what, right now, I'm having a hard time loving my enemies. I've got some situations going on right now where basically I've had conversations with people and I feel like they've just directly lied to my face. And then they, they go somewhere else and say something absolutely the opposite. And nothing will get me fired up more than that. I got big shoulders. I can bring it. If you got something to say to me, come on. Don't be mean, but let's have it. Because we're in this together. Love can hold me accountable just as it can hold you accountable. But for me, I, I'm, ha I'm doing a lot of praying. In Matthew 5, 43 to 48, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Exactly, right? Pray for those who persecute you. Huh. Desmond Tutu. I mean, that, that guy, how long was he in prison? prayed every day for the people who were holding him. He won over the guards because he was so compassionate and so loving toward them. 
yet they still had to keep him in jail. He prayed for those who were persecuting him. How about this one? From Leviticus now, okay, from Leviticus, you shall love the alien, could be translated foreigner, could be translated immigrant, could be translated sojourner, as yourself. That bears repeating. Love the alien, the foreigner, the immigrant, the sojourner, as yourself. Why? Because you were a sojourner, an alien, an immigrant, Israel. Again, it comes back to this compassion thing, like, hey, just because I've called you to be my chosen people doesn't mean you occupy this special place where you get to lord that over other people. You got to remember where you came from. I called you up out of this to be a blessing to the nations. Don't ever forget that, God says. Ever forget that. And yet, it is, it's convenient for us to forget it, right? I mean, and, and again, we can have our Christian faith, and I was, trying, I was talking to one of our elders this morning about this, is our faith, if indeed we believe in a God of love, and that, and that love fills us to overflowing and is part of our life, and we are seeking to follow God with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, that, mean it, that means it touches everything. That means our faith in, informs our economics. It informs our politics. It informs our relationships. It informs our spiritual life. It informs our personal life. It's got to touch everything or it touches nothing. And I'm not saying that the Christian faith tells us what is the best economic system to have. I'm not saying that the Christian faith tells us exactly what our immigration policy should be. I'm not saying that the Christian faith tells us exactly, you know, what political party is right or what political system is the right one. But what I am saying is, is that if love works in us, Love's got to go to work on all of our life. And we too easily, and I do it too, we too easily separate and categorize and put things into boxes. We're great on Sunday morning. We're great when we're at the homeless shelter. We're great with the recovery center. We're great with this. We're great with that. But when we step out of that, when it comes to our pocketbook or when it comes to our politics or when it comes to our fear we have that somebody's going to take something away from us, we go right back to totally depraved. <laughs> when love works, love goes to work. And it is, I don't know what you said your hardest work was. I mean, I was thinking about um, some of our mothers in here. I, having a baby, I just can't imagine. Just can't imagine how hard that is. I've, I've been... I'll tell you that story later, but I've been, I've been present for one, not present for the other. Don't get me started. Uh, we're still married. But just, I mean, being there, being part of that, seeing, seeing all of that happen, the miracle of that and the work of it, holy cow, wow, I just can't, I can't imagine. But I still think that living as someone who follows Jesus, who follows a God of love, who calls us out of God's grace and calls us to something greater is the hardest work we'll ever do because it never ends. It never stops. We're always being challenged with how we live our life, 
how we use our economics, how we use our political nature, how we are caring for ourselves and for others spiritually, how we are doing whatever it is that we can to be for and with other people. And as I said last week, like it can be overwhelming. There's so much going on in the world today that we can get overwhelmed by, by the things that are happening and then do nothing. And I've always said, find something. Because in helping somebody else and being there with somebody else and walking with somebody else, you are gonna, you're going to find something you've never found before. You're going to find Christ in your life in a completely different way when you put yourself in a position where you're a little bit vulnerable, but you're trusting that God is in the midst of that and you're working with people to help them hear this word of grace and love and hope and you're working also within the systems to try to change those things so that we can honor each and every person. And I'm going to tell you, it's not a popular place to be. And I don't think it ever will be. This road that you've been called to is not a smooth path, but it was paved by the one who went before us. Jesus didn't die instead of us. He died ahead of us. We're all going to die. But he showed us the way to live. And we face things that he didn't face then. Things are different now. But we have his guidance. We have his spirit We have the Lord in our lives to show us the way, but we've got to get to work. We've got to go to work. We've got to let love work on us. That's the first thing is to allow love to work on you. And then to look at your life and to say, where where can I put love to work? Maybe it is at my work. Maybe it is in my school. Maybe it is in my retirement home. Maybe it is in the midst of my own family. Where is it that love needs to go to work, this love that has worked in me? Because I just believe and I cling to this hope and this belief that love works and that this love that we have can conquer anything in front of us. And so may you, may you put love to work in your life. May you create the space for love to work in you and for it to come to overflowing so that you can go to work with love wherever it is that God is calling you. Amen.